All right. Thank you very much. Well, we uh, are blessed with music around here, and thank you, Joshua, for your leadership this morning. What was that trickling down your face this morning, by the way, on both sides? It's a, it's a workout, let me tell you, to do what he did this morning. <clears throat> well, thank you for your prayers. Last weekend, uh, we had a wonderful trip to Chicago where uh, I finally graduated. I, uh, I wish you... No, no. Thank you. you. You have been very kind and effusive in your congratulations, so you don't need to clap again. But I just wanted to say that it was wonderful to finally get that master's degree. Now, my wife has, for, uh, for years, followed the example of, of Sarah and called me Lord. Now she can call me Lord and Master. <laughs> and she gave me permission to say that, too. Would you open your Bible with me, please, to Galatians chapter 6. Lest you be worried that somehow the, the music went too long this morning, please note we planned it this way. We have 20 minutes now to study God's Word, and we're going to do that. But we're going to begin reading in verse 1 of Galatians chapter 6. Brethren, if any man is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thus fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another. For each one shall bear his own load. And now, Spirit of God, would you please bring this text to our hearts in the next minutes in such a way that we will understand what it says, but also beyond that, we'll be moved to apply them to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I was talking this last week to a leader in a Christian ministry who said that one of the values of their ministry is that they want to be known for what they're for, not what they're against. I like that. I grew up in a church where that wasn't the case. We were really known for what we were against more than anything else. But I like the positive side of that, that this ministry expresses, what are you for? Some believers think that spiritual living is measured by what you're against or by some list of don'ts that you obey. But in fact, true spiritual living is better measured by what we do. Spirituality, you see, is not keeping a list of don'ts or have-tos. Spirituality is walking in the Holy Spirit. Spirituality is living in the liberty of love. Spirituality is enjoying the freedom that comes to us in Jesus Christ. Walking by the Holy Spirit produces certain marks of a love-filled life. <clears throat> Excuse me. The last time we were together, we studied the fruit of the Spirit, and we said that probably the best understanding of that text is that love is 
is the fruit of the Spirit. And that the other eight qualities that are mentioned there flow out of love. Walking by the Spirit produces the marks of a love-filled life. What I'm saying by that is that one who is truly spiritual will do what Paul says in these five verses. In the first place, he will restore the fallen. The situation that Paul has in mind here is of someone who has suddenly been overtaken by what he calls a trespass. The word trespass means to step out of line or to step over the, the line. We talked about the word walk in the Spirit at the end of chapter 5, verse 25, the last time. And we said that the word walk there means to walk the line. Paul says there's the possibility for any of us to step over the line, to get out of line, and to trespass. Now, I wonder why Paul uses the illustration that he does in the context of the book of Galatians. The Galatians were facing this teaching about legalism, you remember. I think Warren Wiersbe captures it pretty well when he asks that same question. Why does Paul use this illustration, that is, of stepping out of line? He goes on to say, because nothing reveals the wickedness of legalism better than the way that legalists treat those who have sinned. If you have been around much legalism in your life, you understand exactly what he is saying. How does one who is walking in the Spirit respond when someone trespasses? Well, see how love is manifested in what he says to do. In the first place, he says, the one who is spiritual will seek to restore. The word restore here means to surgically put in place. Or it is used in the Gospels for the cleaning of the fishing nets, the repairing of the fishing nets. To restore, then, means that one who is spiritual will seek to lift up the fallen and to return him to health to return him to usefulness and fruitfulness in the things of God. One who is spiritual will seek to help the one who has fallen to come back to the place of walking by the Spirit, walking in the line of the Spirit. In other words, the one who is spiritual will not beat up on the one who has fallen with accusations and heap on shame. One who is spiritual will not hold over the one who has fallen reproach and bring him public censure and guilt, but rather he will seek to lift up the one who has fallen. And notice how he is to do this. He is to do it with gentleness. That's the very same word used back in verse 23 of the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. The one who is spiritual will go to the one who has fallen and will gently, meekly use his authority, his power, his gifts to engender convalescence in that one who has fallen. And in doing that, he will also look to himself. 
Because whenever you and I go after someone who has fallen into sin, there is always the possibility that we will be suddenly ourselves overtaken by sin, and sometimes even attracted to that sin, so that we end up falling ourselves. And so whenever we are about this important business of restoring the fallen, it is vital that we guard ourselves lest we be overtaken by temptation. Jesus gives us a wonderful illustration himself of what it means to restore the fallen. You remember the woman who was taken in adultery in John chapter 8? And how the legalists brought her to Jesus and said, here's what the law demands. She's to be stoned to death. And Jesus stooped down and began to write in the dirt. Doesn't tell us what he wrote. I think what Jesus began to write was the Ten Commandments. And then it says, he said to them, you who are without sin, you cast the first stone. And he stooped down and started writing again. And it says that they began to slip out from that place, from the oldest to the youngest, to leave. And then Jesus restored her. He did not condone her sin. Do not misunderstand what is said there in the text. But Jesus restored her and forgave her. It seems to me that he gave us a wonderful example of how we are to gently, meekly, cautiously, for our own sake, restore those who have fallen. That's a mark of love. That is evidence that one is truly filled with the Spirit when there is concern about a brother or a sister who has been overtaken by sin. There's a second mark that he gives to us here, and that is that one who is spiritual will bear others' burdens, verse 2. The reality is that in a fallen, loveless world like we live in, Burdens are a universal reality. Everybody has them. It reminds me of a story I read this week of a young Scotsman who left home and went to the city and lived in a flat. And after some months, he went back home and his mother said, well, how was it? How do you like living in the city? What are your neighbors like? And he said, well, my neighbors are fine, but they're a little strange. She said, well, what do you mean by that? He said, well, the one on the one side of me continually bangs his head against the wall. And the lady on the other side of me moans and weeps all day long. And his mother said, well, that must be very difficult for you to deal with. And he said, yes, it is. So I just stay in my flat and play the bagpipes all day. <laughs> there are all kinds of burdens. We're to bear one another's burdens. The word burden here means an excessive load, something that's overwhelming. I'll tell you something. Burden bearing 
is a great ministry. The fact is, though, that you and I cannot bear everyone's burdens, can we? We cannot bear everyone's burdens. But that isn't what we're called to do here as spiritual people. We're called to bear one another's burdens. One another's burdens. In other words, we are called to bear the burdens of those with whom we are in relationship. That shows how important it is that we be in relationships. And this helps reflect why we say in our vision statement is that we do, that we want to be a church where we grow deep in our relationships with Christ and with one another. Occasionally someone will complain, no one's bearing my burden with me. And the first question that must always come to mind is, well, who are you in relationship with? Have you taken time to be with others and to grow deep with them so they understand and know your burdens? You can't be expected to bear everyone's burdens, but we are to bear one another's burdens. That is, the burdens of those with whom we are in relationship. And how do we do that? Well, the greatest way is by listening. Just listening. And then caring. But beyond that, it also means to bring what practical assistance we can to the situation. John says, if you see a brother or sister without food or without clothing, and all you say is, God bless you, be warmed or be filled, that's not enough. The love of Christ doesn't dwell in you. In other words, we need to do what we can to bring assistance to those who are, in, who are burdened. Paul says this fulfills the law of Christ when we do so. The law of Christ is that we should love one another as he has loved us. Paul had experienced this kind of burden-bearing. For example, there is Philemon, to whom he wrote these words, I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love. Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. That word refreshed means to be reinvigorated. The hearts of the saints have been reinvigorated, have been renewed to their labor because of you. And Paul included himself in that, that group that Philemon had ministered to. The Philippians had sent to Paul a messenger whose name was Epaphroditus, and among other things, Paul says regarding him when he wrote back to the Philippians, Epaphroditus is your messenger and minister to my need. Paul acknowledged that he had a burden, he had need. He was imprisoned at the time. And here was a man who came to be a burden bearer with him. It is because of what we're talking about that Martin Luther said, Christians must have mighty shoulders and strong bones. In other words, we have to be strong in the Spirit so that our lives can show the fruit of love by our bearing the burdens of others around us. There's a final mark of one who is walking in the Spirit in verses 3 through 5 a little bit of a different twist. He says the one who is walking in the Spirit 
will test his own actions. In other words, love, the fruit of the Spirit, will cause a Spirit-filled believer to check his own motives and his own responsibilities and not be comparing himself with others. Paul says that these Galatians in verse 26 of chapter 5 were being boastful, challenging one another, and envying one another. In my reading about the Galatians, I came to understand really for the first time in the last few months that the Galatians were descendants of the Gauls who migrated into this part of Asia Minor four, five hundred years before uh, Paul lived. Well, the Gauls are also the descendants of the Celts, or the Celts, uh, the Irish. If you know anything about Irish, you know that people who are Irish tend to compare themselves with others and be boastful and proud. And, and I say that because that's my own heritage. When I think of these words, I think of the typical Irish pub and the kinds of braggings and, and boastful sayings that go on in the context of those men. Paul is writing to these people who must have had the same kind of character qualities. And he says, look, if you're walking in the Spirit, you're not going to be bragging and boasting over others. You're not going to be comparing yourself with them and putting them down. You're going to look after your own responsibilities and test your own actions. You will not scrutinize others, either comparing yourself favorably to them or criticizing them. You will not suppose that you are something when in fact you're nothing. Paul is saying here that each one of us has his own assignment from the Lord, his own journey in the plan of God. And each one of us is to live humbly and contentedly with God's sovereignly assigned place and parameters in our lives. We're not to compare, not to complain, nor to gloat. Indeed, Paul says to the Romans, each one of us shall give account of himself to God. Every day and every hour that you and I live, we're walking down a trail, leaving marks where we have walked. The marks that our lives leave behind will either indicate that we are in subjection to the flesh or that we are walking by the Spirit. Which marks your life? The works of the flesh or the fruit of the Spirit? You see, ultimately the choice is yours. Because we are the ones who decide either to live in the energy and out of the lusts and desires of that flesh that is within us all. Or we are the ones who decide to yield and surrender to the Lordship of Christ and to choose to depend upon the Holy Spirit day by day. And as we make that decision, then the life of Jesus begins to flow through us and the fruit of love with the marks like he gives us in these five verses will be evident. God help us to walk that way. God help us to choose to be men and women who walk by the Spirit. Let's pray together.
Lord, we live in a day that's very much like the Galatian culture. Pagan, boastful, proud, self-dependent, arrogant. We need to learn to walk by the Spirit. It is so countercultural, counter who we've been formed to be in this world. I pray that you will show us, each one of us, what it means to walk by the Spirit. And that you would fulfill within each one of us that path that you've called us to walk. Help us to walk in line with the Spirit. And I pray that that fruit of love will mark us that we will leave behind the evidence that we have walked by the Spirit and we have said no to the flesh. Would you sing together this prayer with me? Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Melt me, mold me, fill me, use me. that's what we need is that fresh filling of your spirit. That fresh empowering of your spirit this morning, for this day and this week. And so answer our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We're dismissed.